Good morning, church family. Um, I'm excited for the opportunity to be able to speak to you this morning, to present to you a message from the Word of God. Before we begin, would you ask that you join me in prayer? Dear God, I ask that we may be blessed this morning as we, as we open your Word and as we, as, we, uh, as, we, as we hear from you what you have to say to us. I, I ask that you, um, that as we examine what it means to, to live out the gospel, that your spirit may guide us in opening our eyes and our minds and our hearts to these truths that are being revealed in the book of Philemon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about, about any of you out there, but I wonder how many of us have ever as, ever as kids participated in the school science fair. Um, I did this as a, as a child uh, all throughout elementary school, had a science fair project that I did. Uh, I remember the first one probably the most vividly. I was, I was in kindergarten, and my science fair project in kindergarten, I had just uh, gotten into soccer. And so I, was, I, I played soccer, and I, I was really excited about that. And so my, I wanted to see how far different sized soccer balls would travel when I kicked them. And I know, as, as a, in kindergarten, this was a fascinating experiment. So I had three different sized soccer balls, small, medium, large, and I went out to a field, and I put those soccer balls down, and my, my hypothesis was that the smallest ball would travel the farthest. And so I, I went about 10 paces back, and I ran as fast as I could, and I kicked as hard as I could each ball, one after the next, and sure enough, my, my, my theory proved to be correct. The smallest ball did, in fact, travel the farthest out of, I think I kicked each one like five or six times. And every time it traveled the farthest. Now, the fun thing about science projects or science fair projects is that you get to actually do the project. You experiment. You perform the experiment. And it's not just something that you, you have a hypothesis and then you write about it or you theorize about it or you explain it. Um, if you were to sit me down in kindergarten and explain to me the physics of why kicking different sized soccer balls was going to cause them to travel certain distances, that would have gone completely over my head. I'll be honest, I took physics in high school and I didn't understand it then. Uh, science was never my best subject. And so as a kindergarten five-year-old, I certainly wasn't going to be able to grasp it. But what I did understand was the visual component of the experiment that when I kicked that ball, that it traveled as far as it did. I got that. that was, it was, a, it was a, a visual element of the experiment that made it, it all made sense to me. You know, they say that a picture is worth a thousand words. I think that's very true in many areas of life. And I believe it's true as well when it comes to the gospel. Philip last week uh, talked about, the, uh, one of the things he mentioned is that Philemon is unique in the writings of Paul and that Philemon is the only one of his letters where he doesn't mention the resurrection, he doesn't talk about his theology of God and of who God is and, and who Christ is, the atoning sacrifice of Christ. He doesn't go into any of that like he does in his other epistles, but instead he demonstrates what it means to walk in Christ and to live as Christ. He imitates Christ. And it's that visual component of the gospel on display in Philemon that makes the gospel resonate with, uh, with the people whom, he is, uh, whom he's writing to, Philemon, and to us as well today. And so I want us to t sort of take a step back and 
uh, consider the book of Philemon. Philip did a good job of talking about it from Paul's perspective and how Paul was imitating Christ. And I want us to look at the other side of the coin. I want us to look at Philemon and his relationship with the other character in the story, Onesimus. And we're going to examine their relationship this morning. Uh, Very quickly, just to kind of give you a background on Philemon, uh, a few things we know, there's a lot that we don't know, but in the church of Colossae, there was a man named Philemon. And Paul speaks very highly of Philemon, and I don't want to understate this. He, he begins his letter by commending Philemon for his, his incredible faith. And here's what he has to say in verses 4 through 7. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you, uh, Philemon. Uh, he, and he says, or when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love, And of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul speaks very, very highly of Philemon in the church of Colossae. Uh, This is a man of great faith. Uh, righteousness, and he is a, an example within this church. The other character in the story is Onesimus. Now, Onesimus is, uh, the, is described as a doulos in Greek, and that is the word for slave. He is a runaway slave of the household of Philemon. Now, we don't really know why he's run away. That's not revealed to us, but he has run away, and he's gone to Rome. And w- one of the difficulties uh, approaching a passage like this is we have a modern understanding of slavery compared to a first century uh, recognition of what it was. We have this idea of slavery is dehumanizing, oppressive. It is uh, forcing somebody against their will. That image, I don't believe, is what we have between Philemon and Onesimus because of the fact that Philemon is spoken in such high regard as a Christian. And that idea, that concept of slavery that we may think of is not compatible with Christianity. And so, whatever their relationship is, certainly not that. Um, and we can uh, maybe, maybe see more, maybe uh, we'll, we'll dive more into this issue as we continue, um, as we look at what's going on in the Roman world at this time. But whatever the reason is for his running away, uh, Onesimus has escaped, he's gone to Rome, and he winds up meeting Paul in prison. And Paul, in prison, converts Onesimus to Christ. He describes him as a spiritual father of sorts, uh, and Onesimus is his child. There's this mentor relationship that he, that he develops with him. But now that he's in Christ, see, the thing is, as Christians, we live in a world where we are subject to the laws of the land. And what Onesimus has done has violated this law and in running away from Philemon. And so, Philemon, or rather Paul, sends Onesimus back, and the the reason for writing Philemon is an appeal for Philemon to receive Onesimus, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And as, with forgiveness, with reconciliation, he wants these two figures, these two characters, to be fully reconciled to each other. It's a beautiful letter, and it is a, 
a microcosm of what the story of God and mankind, the, the redemption, uh, this redemption story is on full display in the book of Philemon. And so what I want us to do is take a step back and sort of examine some realities that we see, some bigger gospel truths that are seen in this story. The first reality is that we live in a fallen world. There's no doubt about it. Uh, there's the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel is amplified by the fact that there's a lot of bad news, right? The bad news comes first. We live in a fallen, darkened world. Romans uh, chapter 5 verse 12 uh, tells us that through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spreads to all men because all sinned. This is the resounding teaching of Scripture is that uh, we, are su- we are all subject to sin. We've all been corrupted by sin, and we have all, uh, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and that's the reality of the world we live in. The book of Philemon is written in the first century Roman world where slavery was commonplace. That was, the, that was normal in his day and age. Uh, slaves were often acquired through very brutal, uh, brutal means, uh, through, uh, through, through military conquest. And what the treatment of slaves under Roman law was absolutely brutal. In fact, what Onesimus did in running away from Philemon could have been, uh, it would have been justified had Philemon decided to kill Onesimus. Rome would have looked at that and said, that's perfectly justifiable for what he did. That is the world, the context into which, in which Paul lived, in which Christianity thrived in that context. It is the context of a fallen world that has been corrupted by sin. We live in that same world today, that same fallen world. Um, on the, you know, when you talk about slavery, we see that in our world, whether it's uh, sex slavery, whether it's child labor, forced labor. We see ethnic uh, slavery in other contexts around the world. But taking a step back, scaling back from that, from that example, just when we consider brokenness in our relationships, we see this all around us. We see broken relationships um, that are, that because of the nature of this fallen world. When we consider uh, what Philip talked about last week, how the breakdown of civil dialogue that we have with each other, uh, it's, where it's difficult for us to even have conversations with people whom we may, with whom we disagree. Uh, we have sort of we have this bubble around us and we don't want to listen to any opposing viewpoints or have respect for, for others uh, who have those viewpoints. That's, a, that's an instance of a brokenness in that relationship that, you know, that, that's keeping us from, from having a relationship. What about when we consider marriages? When we consider the fact that the divorce rate is around 40%. It used to be 50%, so I, I guess that's an improvement, but uh, even so, 40% is uh, that, that's an illustration of the fact that this God-ordained union, the sanctity of marriage, is so disregarded by many people in our society. Our views on sexuality and relationships are being informed by the movies and the television, sh- the television shows that we watch uh, from people in Hollywood who, let's be honest, don't have the best track record when it comes to marriages and relationships. When we consider the reality of domestic abuse in our world today, that's an example of, of, of brokenness in relationships. When we consider 
how we relate to people who are in authority over us. You know, there's a lot of disrespect that can be shown at times for people who have authority over us. And it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you fall on, at some point there's going to be somebody over you with whom you disagree. How are we going to respond uh, when, when, when that happens? And I think there's a lot of disrespect that's shown, again, on both sides. When it comes to uh, some, you know, an issue that we are seeing in our country uh, recently, the conflict between civilians and law enforcement, and we see that on both sides as well. We've seen instances of police brutality. We've also seen instances of violence against police officers. It's broken all around. When we consider uh, the hundreds of thousands of unborn children who are killed every year in the United States alone, certainly more throughout the world. I can give you example after example after example of brokenness in relationships, in you know, fellow image, image bearers of God committing violence against one another and treating each other with disrespect. It's all bad news. That's why we need a savior. And that's the beauty of what Christ is able to accomplish in our world today. We are fully restored in Christ. This is the good news. Because what we have going on between Philemon and Onesimus, I want you to see this, we have two people who, by every standard of the day, should have nothing to do with each other. They have nothing in common. Uh, you know, Rome would look at that and say, why would you, Philemon, want to reconcile with your your slave Onesimus. You know, there, there's a barrier between you two that cannot be crossed, that it doesn't make any sense for you to try to cross that barrier. And isn't that what we do in a fallen world? We create barriers. We find ways to divide ourselves and to, and to, uh, and, and to, and to, and to divide ourselves uh, along human lines, along artificial lines. Uh, the example that I can think of that is perhaps very relevant today, when we think of, certainly within our country, and we think of skin color. You know, you take two people who are image bearers of God, made in his image, both with inherent value and worth to God, and we look at one person and say, you have a lighter melanin count, so you're white. You have darker melanin, you're black. And we have created an artificial barrier between two people and that now becomes a lens by which we view different people. And we assign stereotypes. We, we make assumptions based on, which, based on this artificial barrier of skin color. That is not a biblical worldview. That's not a biblical way in which we should view others. We should view others as made in the image of God, as in need of a Savior, as we all are. We see this on full display, by the way, in the Church of Colossae. And I mention Colossae because uh, Philemon was a member of that church in, Col in uh, Colossae. And so in the book of Colossians, we actually have examples of all these different barriers that should have torn this church apart. You have Jews who were circumcised. You had Greeks who were uncircumcised. Right there, huge barrier. These two, two people, there's so much hostility between them just because of that fact. Jew versus Greek. You had barbarians, uh, the, the uncivilized, uncultured versus the Romans who were the more civilized. You had a group called the Scythians, and this is some group out, we don't know much about them, but they came out of the sort of the Russian steppe area, 
and they had been at war fighting with different tribes in the region for decades. And you had members of this Scythian, these Scythians within the church of Colossae. You had slaves, and you had the masters of those slaves in that church. Philemon and Onesimus would have been an example of that. Rome would have looked at that, this hodgepodge of, of, of people and said, there's no way that that can hold up. With all the barriers, all the hostility, all of the infighting between these different groups, the different statuses that, that, we, have, that we see within each of those groups, there is no way that that body can, can function, can hold together, unless their identity is in something greater than any of those barriers. And here's what Paul says in Colossians 3.11. He says, here, there is no Greek, no Jew, no circumcised nor uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, no free, but Christ is all, and he is in all. These barriers that you have, that you have built up, these ways in which you have chosen to divide yourselves, they are meaningless. They mean nothing in Christ. And they can't, they can't be relevant because if they were relevant and if they are the means by which we identify ourselves, the church is destroyed. There's no way this church could, could, could thrive and, and could, could survive unless the members of that church are identifying themselves as in the body of Christ. That is what they have in common. If he had updated his language today, he might have said there is no black or brown or white he might have said there's no Democrat nor Republican. All of these barriers are obsolete in Christ. And I want you to understand this because the chasm that would have existed between Philemon and Onesimus by Roman standards was immense. And yet, by God's standards, there was no chasm. There was no difference. Philemon, this is the crucial verse, verses 15 and 16 of Philemon. He said, Paul says, this perhaps is why he, Onesimus, was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Philemon, in other words, Philemon, this artificial barrier that exists between you two, that, that the state has determined subjugates some and elevates others, that barrier is gone. This... Uh, I know that under Roman law, Philemon, you have the right to execute Onesimus, but I also know that you live according to a higher law. Your God is not the God of the state. Your king is not Caesar. Your king is Christ. And in Jesus, according to God's law, Onesimus is not your slave. He is your brother. You are equal in Christ. He is a fellow image bearer. So what do we do now as, as Christians if we recognize this reality, if we recognize that Christ is the primary way in which we can find commonality, in which we have unity, and yet we live in a fallen world that doesn't recognize this, what are we to do? Well, we are to allow ourselves to be used by God to proclaim the good news. And there's two things from the text I want to draw out uh, very quickly as we, as we begin to wrap things up. The first is that the name Onesimus is very significant. It's a name that means useful. Paul does a little play on words in verse 11. He says, formerly he, Onesimus, was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to me 
or to you and to me. You see, we are like Onesimus in a spiritual sense. We are in that we are outside of Christ, we are rebel sinners. We are runaway slaves trying to get as far as we can from God. Sort of like Jonah, running away from God. We are actually useless to God in that state because we are standing in opposition to his kingdom, to his proclamation of the gospel. But in Christ, the useless become the useful. And we become active participants in proclaiming the gospel. We are like Onesimus. The word Paul uses to describe this participation is a beautiful word, and this is the second point that I want to make. It's this word koinonia. It's a word that means fellowship, this perfect unity and fellowship, this partnership that we have in Christ. And Paul uses it twice. He uses it in verse 6 to describe the faith of Philemon. He says, I pray that the koinonia of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. In other words, the, the, the thing that unites us in the Christian faith, it, it is that faith that is able to bring us together, that is able to unite, that is able to give us this perfect fellowship. And then in verse 17, he, he sort of gets to the conclusion of his letter and said, if you consider me, Paul, a koinonia, a partner, receive Onesimus, as you would receive me. So you have a free man in Philemon, you have a slave, by every Roman standard, on the lowest rungs of the, of, of the ladder in, in Roman society, in, in Onesimus, and you have another man, Paul, who is a persecutor of the church at one point, and who is now in prison for proclaiming Jesus Christ. Three people, once again, Roman look at that and say they have nothing in common with each other. They are, they are from... T- totally different walks of life. And yet Paul looks at that and says, no, no, we have everything in common. Everything that matters, we have in common. We have this koinonia. We have this perfect fellowship, partnership in the gospel of Christ. It's only found in Christ. That's what unites us. If we are to proclaim the gospel, if we are to live out the gospel, we have to practice this koinonia in our relationships with one another. And that is the means by which we demonstrate to a fallen world, to a broken world with all of this this hostility. That is a means by which we proclaim the gospel. It's through how we enact this koinonia in our lives, in our relationships, at home, at work, with those with whom we disagree. All All those things we talked about earlier, the examples of brokenness, That is how we are able to shine the light of Christ by being imitators of Christ, by choosing to be active participants in the faith and in the proclamation of the good news. I'm going to turn it now over to Philip for a time of Q&A as we conclude our our brief series on the study of uh, the book of Philemon. for wrapping up that quick study of Philemon. Um, like I kind of said last week, I was a little probably ignorant to Philemon before we decided to go into this, but I'm really glad that we did because it, it really is full of just a lot of truth and especially for, I think, a lot of things we're experiencing today. 
Um, so there are several questions that we have, so I'll try to be a good right. steward of our time and get through as many as possible. But So the first one, it says that uh, reconciliation seems to be a theme of Philemon. What is the relationship and or difference between reconciliation with Christ and reconciliation with others? Okay, reconciliation with Christ and reconciliation with others. So one of those obviously need, has to come first. The, our reconciliation with Christ in, not only comes first, but it would inform our reconciliation with others because the, the example is Paul. You know, Paul, as you talked about last week, how he is imitating Christ, he is imitating the love that was shown to him by Christ and the grace shown to him, and that was what he was showing to Philemon. Well, Paul is able to do that because he has a full appreciation of what Christ has done for him. Um, and he, he uses this sort of imperative language, I appeal to you. I'm not commanding you to do this. I'm appealing to the love of Christ that is within you, you that you will do the right thing. Um, it's, and he uses a, if you go over to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, I believe, he uses some of the same language of, I'm appealing to this this, the, the reality of the love of Christ within you, that you will do the right thing. Christ does not hold any transgressions against us, and so I should not hold transgressions against others. I should not hold others, um, hold others down. I should seek reconciliation with them as Christ has sought reconciliation with me. So, they, so again, reconciliation with Christ is the building blocks for how we reconcile with others. I think you and I actually talked about that a couple of weeks ago when we were getting into this, and that the is it the parable of the unforgiving servant yeah, is, unforgiving could almost servant. could almost be shown like in just mm-hmm. conjunction with and this, that that was a case where the servant did not appreciate what the yeah. master had done, and he totally disregarded it. So, okay, this the second question um, is probably why I let you take the the first half of the letter, and I oh selfishly boy. took the second. <laughs> But um, the subject of slavery is in the backdrop of this letter. Why doesn't Paul speak out strongly against slavery? Oh, okay. Um, so there's two... Well, let me start with this because the previous question you asked, I think, helps answer that question. And it's the idea of the love of Christ compelling us to do the right thing. And so what we see Paul doing is the same thing we see Jesus doing... Uh, giving, laying down this foundation for how we are to treat others. You know, if, if we were all to follow what Jesus said, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, that concept alone tears down the ab- abusive relationships that we see around us, um, including that we see in slavery, but including all other abusive types of relationship as well. When we abuse other people, when we dehumanize others, that is that is inconsistent with the message of Christ and with the message of Paul. Um, and so the other, the other way I would answer that is that actually Paul does condemn it, um, just not in Philemon. So if you go over to 1 Timothy, you know, the kind of slavery that we would think of as, you know, as far as oppressing someone, dehumanizing them, taking them against their will, forcing them, Paul condemns that in uh, his letter to Timothy, and it's the same condemnation we see of that in the Old Testament as well. Actually, 
In the Old Testament, that's punishable by death. So that's, uh, God feels very strongly about that. It was that. fairly condemned. <laughs> it was fairly condemned, yes. So two, I'll give you two answers to that one. Thank you. Uh, you said that we are like Onesimus and that we were once runaway slaves. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that, on what exactly that means by I know, Oh, slaves? yeah, I didn't, I didn't really get into this in my lesson, but um, I was, the, the, the word that Paul uses there is the word doulos. I did mention that, doulos. Um, and Paul uses this word to draw a parallel between the Roman, slavery in the Roman world versus this relationship that we are to have with Jesus Christ and with God. Paul actually says several times, he says, I'm a doulos of Christ or of God. I'm a slave of God. And he refers to Christians as that way in his other epistles. Um, I'm a, I'm, we are slaves of Christ. And it's, you know, again, it's consistent with the message of Jesus because Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount that no man can serve two masters. Well, he's speaking in that same context of slavery, this concept of serving a master. And the point there is that we all are slaves to something. Um, it's the point that Jesus and Paul are making, whether we're slaves to sin, to our own desires, or to God and to Christ. And so I think what Paul's doing there is, again, he's drawing a parallel between this corrupt institution versus this way in which we are to be devoted to Christ and using that word doulos. So. Okay, we have one last question. Um, it says, you and Philip, or I, you and me, uh, presented, we presented Philemon as a gospel that is demonstrated rather than explained. Do you think it is more important that we show the gospel or explain the gospel to people? Well, I think they would go hand in hand. That's sort of my initial answer. Um, it's important that we, it is absolutely important that we show it, and there's no doubt about that. Um, when we look at Paul, we look at his writings, and we, made, we both made the point that Philemon, he's not explaining it, he's showing it, but we look at all of his other literature, and we do see him going deep into who Christ is, who God is, you know, what, what, it, what it means to be saved, uh, the atoning sacrifice of Christ, the, the grace that he has shown us, all of that, all of that deep, rich theology informs how we show the gospel and how we demonstrate it. And so it's important that we are showing an accurate gospel. When we show, it's important that we, that we are showing the gospel. It's not a surface level, I'm just going to be nice to people. We should, that, that should come as a default. We should just be nice to people. But it is, it is much, much deeper than that. Um, I, th I think the theology of Paul informed his witness. So, yeah, every, I think every single time I read, was reading through Philemon to get ready for this and, to, and just going back through it, I kept wanting to read, then put James almost right next to it. Just if, like, it's, it's great if you know these things, but if we're not putting into practice, then it's yeah. really nothing. Um, well, thank you for kind of putting a bow on this. Um, I know that at least for me, and I hope for everyone else, that it was um, a joy to engage with this part of Scripture, one that I don't think a lot of us really do engage with on the regular, but just showing how much truth it can still be in there. Uh, over the next few weeks following this, Randy is going to be taking back over, and he's going to be taking us through um, for several weeks um, through a series on the life of Moses. 
So we're really excited to hear about that. But at this point, we're going to transition to our time of communion, but we're first going to start off with a song.